Discipleship, you're not alone. That's the wonderful thing about discipleship. It doesn't have to be a solo flight. And we're going to figure out what that means here in just a minute. But I want to recap what we've talked about the last two weeks. Uh, If you remember two weeks ago, we started this journey on discipleship. And then last week, Pastor David Lamprecht got up here and just preached a wonderful word. And and, uh, I've been chewing on the stuff that he shared uh, for a week now. So disciple, there's two different ways to talk about it. If you want to talk about it in the Greek or in the Hebrew when it comes to biblical times, they both relatively mean the same thing. Well, in Greek, it would be methetes, that would be disciples. Uh, in Hebrew, it's talmidim, uh, which is disciples. It's a group of disciples. It basically means imitator, follower, pupil. And in other words, a student, but not a student in the sense of how we have students now. It wasn't a matter of, hey, I show up twice a week and hear my rabbi speak, rabbi being teacher. Yeah, I'm going to go hear my rabbi preach, and, and uh, don't worry about that alarm. That just means when I get on fire preaching, I set the, I set the alarm off, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, it's not, it, it, but, but it, it's not a matter of, hey, twice a week I go hear my rabbi speak and I take some notes and then I, you know, I go on my way. That's not what disciple meant. Disciple meant an imitator, follower, pupil. That means that they would immerse themselves in following a particular teacher. Even amongst the Greeks, they did the same thing with all of their philosophers. So Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they would all have disciples, people who basically left their life and would would hook up with these teachers to understand their mindset, to understand what they taught, to understand their views on the world. They would study them to the point of, how did they worship with these rabbis? What was their patterns of worship? How did they get up? How did they carry themselves in public? How did they walk? How did they speak? They would try to imitate and follow these, these, these rabbis, right? So if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, uh, this was the definition we gave two weeks ago. A disciple of Christ is someone who comes to church. No, no, not so much. We got a lot of believers in the world. A lot of people going to heaven, they believe in Jesus, but true disciples start showing up few and in between, right? A disciple is a follower imitator of Christ who is actively engaged in developing full life submission to the authority or lordship of Jesus Christ. And we talked about it being an authority transfer. We'll get to that here in a minute. But basically, to, if I am going to be a disciple of Christ, and I'm going to make an admission, I've lived a lot of years walking with the Lord, and, and much fewer of those years have been in true active attempts at discipleship, because I just didn't know. You know, growing up, especially those of us, how many of you guys pretty much grew up in church or around church, relatively to some degree? And we, and we really become, if you think about it, we really become followers of whatever culture and group or denomination of church, you know, we, we, we show up and we know how to do church. We, we know how this particular group that we grew up in worship. We know what songs that we sing. We know the demeanor, you know, we know, um, what you do and what you don't do in church. You know, we know 
what's going to keep you from getting the evil eye from some of the saints, right? <laughs> you know, oh, don't wear that to church. You're going to upset sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, you know, you know uh, that, that whole mindset. We, we really become disciples of the church culture, more or less. That's what we really start following. And oh yeah, we get to learn about Jesus on the way. But that's not even true discipleship, right? The, the pattern for years is to have big giant crusades, get a bunch of people to, to uh, you know, go hear the evangelist, like Billy Graham. Man, what an incredible man of God Billy Graham was, a preacher of the gospel. Get up, preach, won thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would come and make public confession, public uh, uh, confessions of faith, and ask Jesus into their life. And then he, his association, his, his, uh, uh, his parachurch group was really good at getting with local churches. Hey, we're going to be preaching in Birmingham, Alabama. Let's get all the churches that we can from Birmingham to come by, help us out. That way, when these people give their heart to the Lord, we can say, hey, here's some churches. You know, get yourself plugged into church. And then what, what we did for decades was, oh, hey, you just gave your heart to the Lord. Come to church with us. Now, now that you gave your heart to the Lord, start attending Sunday school, attend worship service, and volunteer some of your tithe, times, and don't, don't forget to pay your tithe. Congratulations, you're a disciple of Christ. And that's not really what real discipleship is about. Discipleship is about giving up your authority, your will, your desire, your plans, your dreams, handing them over to Him, but then you actually get to start assuming His authority and operating and living in his authority. You start dying out, but you become alive in him. That's the essence of true discipleship. It's not always popular. You know, we're Americans, man. We don't like being told what to do. You can't tax us. We'll start our own country. You're right. The, the, uh, we don't like, we don't even like it when our government tries to tell us what to do. You can't tell me what to do. I'm an American. And yet in the kingdom of God, you've got a deity, not just a monarch. You've got a deity saying, hey, you want to follow me? Give everything up. Because if you lose your life, you gain it. What does that mean? You lose your authority, your desire. You gain his authority, power, and desire. We'll look into that a little bit more here. Last week, David Lamprecht taught us this. Being a disciple meant uh, back like when Jesus was hanging out here physically on earth, it meant knowing God's word and your rabbi's interpretation of it. Say, so, well, who's the rabbi? Well, Christ is our rabbi. The pastor ain't the rabbi. Christ is. So what is Christ's interpretation of his own word? Following your rabbi, even if you don't know the destination. Anyone felt like you were in that zone with God? Lord, I'm trusting you. I have no clue what you're up to, but I'm going to trust you. That's good. Hey, you're in a discipleship zone. That's good. It also meant to live by your rabbi's teachings. And ultimately, Mr. Lamprick taught us that being obsessed and being like your rabbi, being obsessed with being like your rabbi is, is a form of disciple, is, is a characteristic, characteristic of being a disciple. So that means that we, our obsession is to be like Christ. Does that mean Christ from the movies that you always see or Christ from the chosen, which, you know, they're doing a fabulous job on that. No, it, it means, it means learning 
what he said. There, there was a big movement years ago and bracelets and everything. What would Jesus do? You remember that? WWJD. And it's really, it, the, the, reality, the question shouldn't be what would Jesus do because we all kind of have a different interpretation of Jesus, right? But it's what did Jesus say about what I'm going through? What did he have to say about this issue or that issue? So let's, let's get into the word a little bit. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, which means to hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my Talmudim, or my Methodists. You are truly my imitators, my followers. Now notice he's speaking this to believers, people that believe in him. But he said, if you abide in my word, if you stay in my word, if you consume it, digest it, pick it apart, ponder on it, put it into use, then you're truly going to imitate me. You're going to start acting like me and start being like me. And then you're going to know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. If you want true freedom and if you want to live in a, with, with, with the veil of lies pulled off of you, because how many realize that everything that we watch and everything we see and everything we consume tends to be tainted with, with someone's narrative, right? Even conversations we have tend to be <laughs> tainted with our own narratives. Yet if we want to live with the blinders off and know truth and be free to walk in that truth, there's one way to do it, and it's to be a Talmudim, Methodist, disciple, which means an imitator, a follower. It doesn't mean a churchgoer. Now, it's important for us to get together in fellowship and, and to learn together and to worship together. That's important. But showing up here every Sunday doesn't make you a disciple. Showing up to Bible study doesn't make you a disciple. Learning to imitate him in all you do and to become a follower and to submit all your authority to him so that you take on his authority. That's, that's the key. That's the other key. We've got a lot of Christians who work at submitting, but, but they never have enough confidence in who they are in Christ to take on his authority. That, that turns you into, that makes you a disciple, right? So Matthew 29, 17 through 20 uh, actually, I'm sorry. My apology. That was a typo. Matthew 28, 17 through 20. Matthew 28, 17 through 20. Jesus approached, this was right after his resurrection. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. The reason why it's called the Great Commission, out of all four of the commissions we find in the Bible, uh, 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 five commissions, actually. There's four commissions in each gospel, uh, a commission in each gospel, and then a commission in the book of Acts. This is the one that actually commissions us to go make other disciples, right? So, so this is just a review from the last few weeks. Tw uh, 28, 18. Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to them, all authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, that word authority, if you remember, it means exousia. It means power in legitimate hands. Power in legitimate hands. So all exousia has been given to me. And if you remember the word exousia, 
or power in legitimate hands would be the same thing as a criminal running in here with a gun and then Arlington police coming in here with guns. <laughs> you know, both of them have firepower, but they're the ones who are licensed to have or authorized to have the authority to, you know, to, to wield it, right? And so Jesus is saying, I have been authorized to have all authority and all power on heaven and earth, right? And then he gives it to us. He says, go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So let it be. So he commissions us. He said, look, I've been given all power. So as my disciples, I'm going to give it to you. Now you go and make other Methodists, other Talmudim, other disciples, other imitators. That's our job. Our job is not to build a church and fill it up with people and have programs. Our job is to make imitators of Jesus Christ. Not just the preacher, not just the pastoral staff, not just the board, but all of us as believers, as disciples, and we've been empowered to do so. We've got the authority to do so. Not only that, one of the things he said is to make disciples and then go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to put this out there. It's been a long time. Kate and I were talking about it. It's been a long time since we had a baptismal service. I can tell you it's been before COVID because I actually was scheduled to baptize two people on a Sunday. That's one reason why, man, if COVID could just manifest right here, I'd want to punch it in the face, Paul. You know that? Right? Because, because there's been, there were two people I was scheduled to baptize the Sunday that we had to shut the building down. And, and uh, the, the family was a little scared. You know, everyone was really frightened at the time. Oh, man, we're going into quarantine. And so uh, even though we were going to baptize at a family swimming pool here in the neighborhood, they just they said, hey, let's just hold off. Let's see what's going on here, right? And, and since then, the family has moved on, right? <laughs> so so uh, by the time we came out of COVID, you know, and, and I, now I believe, I believe if I'm correct, I believe that they have been able to resettle out of church and, and the two folks got baptized. So praise God for that. But, but I'm like, man, COVID robbed me of at least two baptisms. So I want to say this. If you have recently given your heart to the Lord and you've never been baptized, come talk to me. I would be honored to baptize you. Okay. So do you even have a baptistry? I got a whole neighborhood full of baptistries. Y'all don't understand. Okay. Cause everybody that has a swimming pool in their backyard knows Pastor Dave has knocked on their door and said, at some time, I may need use of your baptistry that you just put in your backyard, right? So, and many of them are heated. <laughs> and if none of them are available, we've baptized people right here, out here in this lake, right? Some of y'all have been baptized out in this lake. So, so we are, why, why are we saying this? Because we are commanded to make imitators. And one of the ways, the first ways to imitate Christ is to do like him. Get baptized. It's a public confession of what's taking place inside. I would be honored. Not only that, if you are here and somebody has led you to the Lord and you would be more honored for them to baptize you, let them baptize you. I'll be on the sideline cheering you. The preacher doesn't have to baptize you. He didn't say, go make disciples and then bring them to your pastor and have your pastor baptize you. 
He said, no, you make disciples and then baptize folk. So if you are a believer in Christ, you are authorized and empowered, not by me, but by him. Go ahead, find you some water. Let's get to Duncan. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> or maybe if you're here and you've given your heart to the Lord, you, you know, hey, I've seen folks where, where they have, uh, they lived for God as a child or maybe made some commitments and then they walked away and life was a mess and then they came and rededicated their heart to the Lord. And I've had people say, it, would, would it be all right if I, I was baptized as a child? I would like to get baptized again. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a statement of where you are right now. It's all right. Okay? It's all right. So, so regardless, come talk to me. Even, even at, during our last song of the Lord moves on, you said, man, I want to schedule, I want to get baptized. We'll, we'll get you baptized. Come talk to me. Amen? All right. So, but notice, he tells us to go make imitators. How do we do that? Oh, well, that's easy. We get them to come to church, and then we plug them into this program and this Bible study and all this stuff. All that is good, okay? Trust me, I love church. That's, that's why I'm making a living now, <laughs> having church, right? I love having church. But that's, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Paul mentioned it. Again, we're reviewing. We're going to get somewhere. So look at your neighbor say, we're getting somewhere. Y'all don't trust me. Y'all ain't even saying it. First Corinthians 11 and 1. Pattern yourself after me. This is the Apostle Paul. Pattern yourself after me. Follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ, the Messiah. That right there is the simple template for making disciples, which means it is imperative that I live my life and you live your life in a way that when you make a connection with somebody else, you can say, hey, do what I'm doing. Follow me as I'm trying to follow Christ. Why? Because you'll, you'll, you'll be his disciple. Are you imitating Christ enough in your life to be a disciple? And by that, I don't mean going to church and going to Bible study. That's good. We, we want that. We need that. But I mean on every area of your life, are you imitating Christ enough that you would feel comfortable saying to someone else, walk with me. Because do you realize you're being discipled by something and someone in a lot of areas of your life? Uh, how many of you on your job have had some kind of a mentor, a boss, or a supervisor who saw talent in you and said, hey, hey, why don't you come alongside me? And they just started working with you. To a point that you were at some point able to elevate yourself within the company that you worked for. Well, what did, what did they do? They discipled you. It's an incredible, wonderful concept. It's not a matter of come hear somebody talk, take some notes, go figure out how to apply it. It's come do life with me. Pastoring. Pastoring. I, I love the honor that God's given me to pastor some of his sheep. And I don't take it lightly. And, and there are days it's a heavier responsibility than other days. I, I did not, the route that God chose for me was not to go off to a Bible college. That was my intention. I was graduating high school. I had grown up since I was eight years old under a pastor that, that many of you have met. He's preached here before, Pastor Glenn Davis. Keep him in your prayer. He has his open heart surgery this Wednesday. Uh, but 
since I was eight years old. At 12 years old, my mom took me to him and said, do something with this child. He keeps getting in trouble at school. He goes, oh, is his grades bad? I said, no, he's a straight A student, but he talks too much. He's getting in trouble. So Pastor Davis looked at me and said, you like to talk, huh? Well, this Wednesday, you're going to preach. I said, oh, you're going to give me a mic. Excellent, right? So at 12 years old, I got up. I can tell you exactly what I preached. I preached about Abraham trusting God, having faith, and God credited it to him as righteousness. It, I had no clue it was going to become the theme of my life, that I would have to learn on a very hard way to trust God and just, just believe him and have faith and walk in faith. So what, by, by the time that I was going to graduate, I had, I had plans to go to Bible college. Now, after I preached at 12 years old, he told me, he said, hey, I think you're called to preach. I said, okay. He said, well, show up this Saturday. I'm going to start, that was Wednesday night. He said, show up this Saturday. I'm going to start mentoring you in pastoring and preaching. I said, yes, sir. I showed up, man. I went and got my big old Bible. I had a big old thick Strong's Concordance. Y'all, any of y'all remember that? Big old thick Strong's Concordance made you feel really studious, yeah, right? I showed up and he said, okay, set that right over here on the desk. And I did, I turned around and he had a toilet brush. And he said, now go clean all the toilets in the church. Why? Because we're going to have church tomorrow. We need to have clean bathrooms. So I went and did that. I came back. He's, he had the vacuum cleaner. He said, okay, I need you to go vacuum the sanctuary now. I said, okay, what does this have to do with preaching? He said, because we're about to have church tomorrow. We've got to have a clean facility. That's, so he taught me from day one to start serving. 18 years old, I was looking at different... Or, considering different Bible colleges. And he asked me, he said, he said, would you just stay, would you stay with me and let, let me, let me, let me work with you. Uh, sure. Okay. So I, I wanted, uh, went a little different route here locally, uh, for schooling. It turns out and, and, and what he would do, he, he was working with me, having me help with this, having me help with that. Sometimes it seemed meticulous stuff that I thought, what in the world does this have to do with preaching and all that stuff? What, and even, even early on, 19, 20 years old, I would be frustrated. And I, I would remember questioning, thinking, God, did he just have me stay because he wanted the free help, you know, with the church? What's going on here? I was frustrated. He mentored me from the time I was 12 years old to the time I was, uh, to, to the time I was, 46 years old until May of 2018, the Lord brought me over here to pastor the neighborhood here. So for all those years, 30, 30 some odd years, and I, I eventually grew to understand what he was doing was discipling me. It became a lifestyle. I became I walked with him in ministry. He's been pastoring. Do you realize the average lifespan of a pastor for a pastor to stay in one place, the average lifetime of, of a pastor staying at one place, the last poll I read was right at three and a quarter year. So not quite three and a half years. And then the pastor moves on. Sometimes it's because their denomination moves pastors around. Sometimes it's because they're discouraged or maybe they've just plateaued and they think they need to move on. Someone else needs to move in regardless of what it is. That tends to be the trend. Glenn Davis, while he's not a perfect man, he's human. He's celebrating 42 years this year of shepherding the same flock generations. He he has shepherded. Now he's, he's shepherding grandchildren and great grandchildren of some of his early flock. 
and having that big of an impact in generations. So what, what did he do? He taught me things I would have never, and I'm not putting Bible colleges down, praise God for Bible colleges, but I would have never learned it and understood it. Why? Because he showed me, he didn't just teach it to me, he showed it to me. He discipled pastorship to me. And so if anything, now did it, did it help my intelligence? Probably not. You know, I'm probably the least intelligent one here in the neighborhood, okay? But what it did do is it showed me how to travail and how to weather and keep plowing and keep moving in the Lord. And those of you who have walked with me for nearly, this may will be four years, I've had the honor of serving as a shepherd here. Those of you who have walked with me during this time have seen the craziness I've had to live through. And yet the Lord has kept me going. That's a testimony to two things, the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and the power of faith. And also the disciple, the discipling that Pastor Glenn Davis did in my life. I, I became a disciple. I began to follow him as he was trying to follow Christ. But it took doing life together. And it wasn't a quick and easy fix-it job. Come on, let's, let's put it all together. Come on, look at that. Man, we dished out disciples like crazy. We're a disciple-making factory. It doesn't work like that. It's doing life together. I want you to see how Jesus called the first four disciples. This recorded. First four disciples. Simon, who eventually, he named Peter, right? He named him Rocky. Peter means rock, right? He named him Rocky. Partly because he was stubborn and hard-headed. Partly because he was powerful, right? Named him Rocky. So Simon, his brother Andrew, James and John, two other brothers. Now, you read the book of Mark, he just, you know, that account just skims through it. Here are the 12 disciples that Jesus had. And he lists off the 12 disciples. Then you read Matthew. Well, he, he mentions, yeah, Jesus was walking by the shore. There was Simon and Andrew. He said, hey, come follow me. Be fishers of men. And then he walked down the shore and found these two other guys, James and John. He said, hey, come follow me. Well, Luke investigates enough to give us a wonderful tale, a wonderful story. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We'll read this real quick. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out onto the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Some of it was to give himself some space from the crowd. Some of it was also for amplification. If they're sitting up slope, he could speak and the water will help deflect, kind of act, act as a, a, a sound system. Uh oh, where are we at? There we are. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners. Everyone say partners. See, Matthew doesn't mention that. Matthew says, yeah, he called these two guys. Then he found two more brothers down the shore. Yeah, and they all got together. It was just a really quick account. Luke identifies them as partners. He calls their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh, Lord, please leave me. 
I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, number one, what a huge impact it made. Here are two guys, Simon and Andrew. They were brothers. James and John, they were brothers. But more so than that, they were partners. So these four guys hung out, did business together, possibly were friends. Whatever the, the, the deal is, they'd, they'd been doing some fishing. How many of you guys have ever gone on fishing trips? Okay, if you've ever gone on fishing trips, and I don't mean just showing up out here at the lake and throwing casting, but I, I mean when you're out on the boat, you're for a whole weekend, you're going to be out on the boat fishing. There's a lot of fishing boat confessionals that take place, right? There's a lot of stories that take place. You start recounting stuff, and you learn stuff about people that they probably don't want nobody else to know, right? And there's some things that happen out there that you just laugh, you know, you laugh about and you crack up about. And, you know, it's kind of one of those whatever happens in the boat kind of stays in the boat, right? So these are, these are guys who knew a lot about each other, who had been around each other and doing life together. And when Jesus called the first recorded disciples that were named, he calls two sets of brothers who were also friends. Come be my disciples. In other words, it was not going to be a solo venture for these guys. They wound up selling, just, just walking away from it. This was their careers. This is what they did to earn a living. Notice that Jesus gave provision. They caught enough fish to last a while to make enough money that they didn't have to worry about bills for a bit. And they didn't have to go at it alone. They were all together. Look, we've all been at a place. JJ sung about it today. Where, man, there's times in our walk, we feel like we're alone. We're surrounded by everyone, but I feel isolated, God. And that's all right. We've, we've all been there. But the truth of it is we're not. Why? Because the foundation of the church, what it would eventually become us, started with these four guys. He called two brothers, two brothers, and then all four happened to be friends. Why? Because he wanted his disciples to walk together. We get to do this together. You don't have to be alone. It's not a solo project. There are going to be times I'm discouraged and weak. I'm going to need some of y'all to come alongside me and say, come on, Dave, come on. There's going to be times you guys are discouraged. You're going to need the pastor to say, come on, no, you're not giving up yet. We're going to keep bugging you. I know you're not in the mood to show up today, but guess what? We're going to call you and tell you we love you until you show up. <laughs> Fine, I'll show up to church. Sick of y'all telling me y'all love me. Why? Because that's what you do in discipleship. Discipleship isn't about showing up, making sure your name's checked off for attendance. There, I did my duty. I went to church. Discipleship is day in, day out, learning to imitate them. You got to get into the word to learn to imitate them, but then doing it together. And if I can hang out with you enough, I'm going to see things about him and say, I need to be more like that. Or if you hang out with me, hopefully I'm living in a way that you can say, I need to be more like that because we're all doing our best to imitate Christ. And unfortunately, 
fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, it is not a quick venture. We can't just spit out disciples. Discipleship takes a lifetime. And it means relationship. And it means walking together. And I love what he did. He used their vernacular. Had they all been artists, he could have said, hey, tomorrow you're going to become painters of lives. Or they, you know, who knows when he called Matthew, the tax collector, he said, "Woo, you sitting there counting money tomorrow, you're going to be counting souls. You know, I don't know what he said to him, but these guys, it made a big enough impact that he said, you think this is something I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. So, well, what, how do you fish for men? Well, his first fishing lesson, if you keep reading, he healed two people. He healed a leper and then they lowered a guy through the roof and he healed a paraplegic. So their first lesson in fishing was learning how to just heal lives and have faith. But they didn't have to do it alone. That's the encouraging thing. Christ had a mission. What's his mission? We're going to talk about it next week. There was a five-part mission that he stated from the top. And we're going to get into that. If we're going to learn to imitate him, we got to know what the mission is. Because our mission is now his mission. Or his mission is our mission. Vice versa, right? We've given up our authority, but we've gained his authority. And it's authority put in the right hands, according to the word exousia. But you don't have to do it alone. That's why we need each other. That's, that's one reason why Eric and I are getting crazy enough to invite y'all over to our house and eat my gumbo. Why? Because we want to do life with you. I want to know the sheep that I have the honor of shepherding. But not only that, I want somebody else to get bit by the fellowship bug. This week, I want to challenge you. Over the coming week, this week, get out of your comfort zone and contact someone. Look around the room. Find someone you don't even know and say, you, let's go get coffee. You, why don't you come over Tuesday night, grab a bite to eat at our house. It doesn't have to be an all evening affair. Just come have dinner. Get to know someone. Why? Because it's called discipleship. It's called walking along beside, helping us learn to imitate each other as we imitate Christ. It's a long journey. We might as well have fun with it, right? Might as well learn, learn how to get along. Let's all stand. That always puts you at ease when I tell you to stand up. It means he's almost done. He told them, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Why? Because they were fishermen. I don't know what your gift and talent is. But, but if you got a gift and talent, you know, Mylon, you, you, those of you who were here last week saw the video of Mylon Lefebvre that I showed you. He was making millions of dollars from his royalties, from the songs he, he had been writing. He'd been recording with the Beatles. He'd been recording with Little Richard and Elton John, all those guys opening up for them, winds up overdosing, starts attending a church in a small town, Georgia, gets saved at a second chapter of Acts. Anyone old enough to remember the second chapter of Acts? Man, well, those guys could harmonize. Gets saved at one of their, their concerts, calls his record label, says, I'm done. I'm done. Just take everything. I can't do this anymore. Goes to his pastor says, I need a job. And the pastor's like, well, we need a janitor. <laughs> awesome. He was getting paid $200 a week to 
come clean the church. And he was so hungry, he, he said, I remember he was telling me one time on the phone call, he said, man, I was attending every Bible study I could at the church. I was showing up to youth night. You know, here he is, this long-haired rocker showing up to youth night. He's an old man, you know, according to youth. You know, he was in his 30s, right? But he's sitting in the back of the room taking notes. You know, he was showing up to women's Bible study, sitting in the back of the room taking notes. You know, every time the church doors opened, he would show it. Why? Because he was so hungry. Well, the only thing he knew how to do was music. And he just thought, Lord, if I'm cleaning the church for the rest of my life, I'm happy. I'm free. I'm happy. And the Lord said, no, 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 no. You're a musician. Before you know it, he put a band together. They started praising God together, playing in high schools, leading kids to the Lord. And then all of a sudden they became uh, probably from the mid 80s to the mid 90s, one of the biggest Christian rock bands out there traveling the world. And according to his testimony, led over 200,000 kids to the Lord. Why? Because God just, you're a fisherman? I'm going to teach you to fish. You're an artist? You're going to make beautiful art for me. You're a salesman? Boy, have I got some things for you to communicate and sell to folks. (laughs) You know? You're a cook. Hey, my people need to eat. No matter what your talent is, he's going to use it but we all get to do it together. Isn't that, isn't that the fun thing? Get excited about what God's doing here at Gathering Church. He's up to something. You might as well get excited about it, amen? Let's all pray together. If you need prayer during this last song, I want you to meet, come over and give me the opportunity to pray for you. Or grab one of your brothers and sisters beside you and say, hey, would you pray with me? And they'll be honored to pray with you. If you're interested in baptism, come talk to me. Man, we'll make it happen. Amen. Father, I love you. I thank you because you have called us to be disciples. You have called us to imitate you of all people, Lord. I throw myself in this lump. Some of us in this room are some of the craziest knuckleheads on the planet. Yet you've still said, no, you, you got what it takes to imitate me. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to do so. So Father, help us to disciple each other. Help us to learn to disciple those that you send us to do life together and to grow in you. We praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. Let's worship one more time as a family.